before I share, could I invite my husband to come up and share a testimony? You know how the last, or several weeks ago, we practiced the 15-second testimony, saying our, what the Lord's done in our life in 15 seconds? Let's practice now. Let's just try and practice what our story is in 15 seconds. Can you share it with the person beside you? There was a time in my life when... You got it? 15 seconds? There was a time in my life when I was angry, mean, harsh. I read the scriptures where it said, if you're not loving to people, then you don't know me, the Lord. And so I began to pray and ask the Lord to make me loving so that I could know him. And now I'm known for being loving and kind. Do you have a story like that? Dane, tell us how you got to share your story. Uh, some of you may remember Yasmin, who came up a few weeks ago and shared her 15-second testimony story. I was with her and her husband, Lemuel. Are they here this morning at all? Yasmin and Lemuel, are you here? Okay, because I have a commission for you. Maybe you'll hear this. Um, huh? Okay. Um, but I was at their house helping them move, and as I was leaving, they just had a couple neighbors that were sitting out on their porch, and they were younger gals. Uh, one was probably, I don't know, 12, 14 years old, and one was maybe seven or eight. And they were just like sitting on their porch and looking so bored. And there's something in me. I, don't, I just had a great time with Yasmin and Lemwa. We were talking about the Lord. I'm leaving. I'm seeing these people, these children bored. I thought, I just got to say something. So this isn't a great intro line, but I said, you guys look bored. And they're like, what? I said, yeah, you look bored. Can I pray for you about anything? And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. So I walked up to him and said, you know, there's a time in my life when I was lonely and afraid. And I heard the gospel and I gave my life to Jesus. And he set me in a family and gives me courage. Do you have a story like that? And the gal says, yeah, I do. I said, oh, can I hear it? She's like, well, I don't, but I know people that do. And it just kicked off the conversation. And then I said, can I show you a simple picture with three circles that explains this gospel of Jesus to you? She's like, sure. So they went inside, got paper, got a pen, came out. I got to share the gospel with them. And they both committed their lives to Jesus, at least confessed committing their lives to Jesus. So it was just so fun to have, have Yasmin had been trained in that went out and did it. I'm at her house. I don't, there's some like 15-second anointing on that family. I walk out the door, share the 15-second testimony, and they got to hear about Jesus. So Anna wanted me to share that this morning. Can we just pray for those two girls who received the Lord that day? They heard Dane's testimony, they heard the gospel, and they put their trust in the Lord. Uh, can we pray for them? Lord, there's people in our lives who don't know the Lord. Would you lead them to you? There are people who need your comfort and are alone, and you have a family for them and a home that you're preparing. For these girls, would you lead them to you? Would they follow you all the days of their life, and would they lead their families to know you? And we pray that for all the people we know 
that don't know you. Would you give us courage and boldness? Thank you for what you've done in our lives that we all just testified to. We love you and we want to know what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Well, as you know, we're going, we're going, we're beginning a series on the church, and we're doing that according to Philippians. So we're using Philippians as a, to help inform us of who we are, the church. The church is the people of God. So you are the church, not me, not Jono, but all of us together are the church. And we're going to begin gaining instruction on what that means for us as we go through Philippians. Last week, Guile started us out. Last summer, we went through how to read the scriptures, right? And he went through, he broke down these areas. And so now as we look at Philippians, we, won't, we broke these down last week, the areas of context. But what we're looking to gain is what did Paul intend to tell the Philippians? Why did he write them a letter that we now have? What did he want them to know? And we are trying to gain the meaning of that intended message so that we can gather significance. But in order to do that, we need the context. So Guile went through last week. He said, look, these are, this is the context. We read through Acts, which shows when Paul and his crew first met the Philippians, right? So we know that instead of going to Asia, the Holy Spirit led Paul and his crew to Macedonia, where the Philippians were. We know that the first church plant was through Lydia and the women that met there. Um, they met in her home, right? We found out that it was a lot of painful, miraculous, and really hard struggles that happened to start this church in Philippi, right? And we know that there was a lot of rough interactions with the city government. So that's what we kind of gleaned as we read through Acts. Is that right? You remember? That was pretty cool, right? To see how in Acts the story began, how it intertwines with the book we're reading now. And so we also found out that this is a letter. The genre of this book is it's a letter between people who love each other. Paul and Timothy writing to people they know, the church. But they hadn't been with them. Part of the history is he hasn't been with them for four to five years when he writes this. He's in prison. And Rome is the superpower of the time. So these are the contextual things that we're trying to inform us of what the meaning of what Paul's writing to these people. And then culturally, we found out that this is a nationalistic city. They, care, they have a lot of pride in themselves. They're focused on themselves, and they love what they're doing. Rome doesn't love people telling about Jesus. They want what their message to be proclaimed, not any other and that women have a significant role in that culture. You know, uh, Nathan and Michelle Real, they just got back from Rome, and we were talking with them, and you know what? You, you, know, you want to hear something that will really build our faith today? They're standing in front of the Colosseum in Rome, and you know what it is? Rubble. You know how much innovation and crazy things this arena could do and hold? And you know what it's doing now? Nothing right? And you know what we're doing now, 2,000 years later, is reading the letter Paul wrote while he was in a Roman jail. You want to talk about how much faith we can have in Jesus, that his words are going to last forever? Rome was oppressive. 
was the thing. It had all the power. It had no power. The Lord is what will remain. All these things will come to an end. We do not have to be afraid. We do not have to be afraid. They don't e- we don't even speak the language of that Roman Empire. It, it has come to nothing. And yet, even today, the gospel is going forth to people in apartment buildings, to us, and we're reading the words of Paul that Jesus spoke to him. Right? Can we just stand in awe of God? He will remain forever. We do not have to be afraid. Let's just pause and worship the Lord for a moment. Let's just thank him. Just thank him with your lips. Thank you, Lord. Whatever seems surmounting and powerful overall, you are bigger. There's no one next to you. There's no one beside you. You are the one. Your kingdom will reign forever, and all other kingdoms will end. You are the one we're looking to, and you do not disappoint us. Thank you, Lord. It makes me excited to read this book that sustained all this time, sustained the highest power coming to ruin, this book remained. This letter remained. So what we're seeking to do, what did Paul intend when he wrote to the Philippian church? What was his meaning? Why did he write this? And so the way that we can know this, we have to look at the text. So we're going to read all of Philippians today. And this is, <laughs> Kelly's like, I don't know. this is a practice of old. And you know how, Guile, when we were doing the um, How to Read the Bible series, How Do We Know What's True? Guile kept using a resource or talking about a resource called, called the Bible Project. How many of you have engaged in that material? Oh, brilliant. So you might have seen this. But just wanted you to feel comfortable and cozy and cool in the fact that we're reading this book together, that this is a practice of old and this is useful for us, not only to find the meaning of what Paul intended to say, but also for our souls. For This is a good practice for us to do. So could we uh, watch this video? It's a short video that might inspire us as we begin to read Philippians. Is that okay? Brilliant. I was reading the Bible, which, you know, is kind of hard to do, but... I came across this verse that says, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and teaching. Yeah, this is in Paul's letter to Timothy, who's a young pastor, and he's telling him about ways that he can keep his church community engaged with scripture. Okay, so preaching the Bible, I get. Teaching from the Bible, I get that too. But what about this reading scripture together thing? Is that something I'm supposed to care about? Why did Paul think it was so important? Oh man, for Paul, this was a really significant practice for the people of God. Think all the way back to Mount Sinai, where the Israelites were just rescued from Egypt. They're no longer slaves, and they need a new identity, a new story to live by. And so Moses, he gathers the people together, and he reads the scriptures aloud. He reminds them of where they came from, who they are, and the new future that they're called to live for. This was the first public reading of scripture in the Bible. Yeah, and it didn't stop there. When the people finally got into the land, they did it again. Joshua pulled the people together, and they all listened to the scriptures read aloud so they could remember where they came from and how they could keep living as a part of this new story. So this is something they did all the time, then? Well, actually, no. 
After Joshua died, we don't have any more stories of the people coming together to hear God's word. Instead, the people forgot their story, and a whole generation arose that didn't know their God or what God had done for them. But then, centuries later, a king named Josiah rediscovered the scriptures, and he was so excited that he called Israel to begin this practice once again. It sparked a renewal movement. That is, until the people forgot once more, and they ended up in exile. And so this is why, when Ezra and Nehemiah came back from the exile, they needed to remind the people who they are and how they are to live. So this is a powerful practice. Yeah, in fact, reading scripture together became a core part of Jewish life. It was done every week as they gathered in synagogue. Jesus himself participated in this practice. He even launched his mission during the weekly reading of the scriptures. He read from the scroll of Isaiah, and then he told everyone these words were about him. And that brings us all the way back to the early church where Paul told Timothy to keep this practice going to immerse the whole community in the story of the scriptures. Okay, but here's the thing. Most people back then didn't know how to read, so they had to do it publicly. But I could read the Bible by myself. Yeah, and you should totally do that. But don't underestimate the power of this ancient practice. Reading the Bible by yourself can be hard. It can be easy to get distracted. But something happens when you hear God's word read aloud and when you're with other people. And besides, it's really easy. You don't need anyone to preach or teach. You just need to listen to the scriptures and then talk about what you've heard. This is what God's people have always done when they enter into new and uncertain times. They remember their story and who they are through the public reading of the scriptures. cool, right? Even though we can read it, there's something about all of us together remembering, but we're also seeking to do a certain work. We're seeking to find the meaning for what Paul meant for the Philippians. And so can you, if there, there's some paper around in the baskets again, or if you use your phone for notes, or if you did this in this last week, you took on Guile's assignment to find anything notable that uh, Paul was saying. Oh, thank you. You got some paper, pens. Brooke, you want to come up here? Okay, awesome. So the things we're seeking to look through, as you, as you listen... Why did Paul write this letter? What was the main gist? You know, if Guile wrote us a letter, and then we said, Jonathan, what did he write? He would say a summary sentence. He would say, he told us this. And that's what we're looking to find. Here's the gist. We can't take a four-page, um, I'm saying page instead of chapters, a four-page letter, and we're just trying to distill down. What, why did he want them to know this? So, Let's write down some of the main ideas or common themes that you see as we read through this. And Brooke's going to start us off with her lovely voice. Thank you. I'm much more comfortable singing this, but I'm not going to do that. So sorry about <laughs> Okay, Philippians 1. No, that is not a challenge, Jono. No, no, no. Okay. No, no, no. From Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, 
grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I'll continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or hear only about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Chapter 2, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, 
If any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain, but even as I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who shows genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will be coming soon. But I do think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. And indeed, he was ill and is distressed because you heard that. But, and he almost died, but God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Chapter 3.
further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have no reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. In layman's terms, I was a pretty big deal. (laughs) But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I, I have lost all things. I, I hold... I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold... Go back. Go back. Thank you. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for for which God has called me, heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach.
and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet, it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, 
an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, readers. Well, you got Philippians in. You got some intent. Maybe let's pause for a moment. Write down anything you saw that were, this is why Paul was writing to them. Or these are some of the main ideas or themes that you see emerging as we read through that. Why don't we turn to one another and share one thing you noticed of why, why he wrote it or a main idea that came out. Okay, I love the study happening. So eight of us got together, some elders and pastors, and we've read this numerous times, and we began to, we looked at the context together, and then we, we did the same thing you did last week, and then we looked at the intent. And so these are the things we came to as common themes that we saw in this letter. See if some of them match up to what you saw. First, we saw that there is a lot of participation that uh, Paul was talking about, that the Philippians participated in the gospel with him. They participated in the work of the Spirit. They participated in his sufferings with him and even in his troubles. They, they were partnered with him, and we saw that theme begin to emerge. Did you see that one? The other thing, we, we've heard, since we began in Philippians last week, we've heard a lot of people saying they studied joy a lot while looking in Philippians in the past. But we noticed, too, that he says, complete my joy. What, what I'm writing you so that my joy, can, what you do from this letter, my joy can be complete. That there's something to do with completing the joy he has because of the content of this letter to them putting action to it. And then we saw that as they str they're striving together as one, as a unit 
in unity for the faith of the gospel and to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. We saw that those things were pretty common. We saw them emerge, and that was in the first chapter. And then we saw a lot of thanksgiving. I love you. It's right for me to love you. Thanks for what you did for me, right? Thanks for the gifts you sent me. Thanks for Epaphroditus that came to help me. And we saw that God is at work in you, working out your salvation. He's the one working it out in you. We saw that there is work and participation to be done in the gospel. And if they were to do this, his joy would be complete. They're already in the gospel. They're already partnered with him. And now strive together as one. Are you guys tracking with some of those same things? Is that cool to see? Okay, so then this is the gist. This was the summary sentence that we came to, to kind of say, here's the intent. This is why Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians. Complete my joy by striving as one like Jesus. So in that chapter two, he brings out what Jesus is like. Consider Jesus when you interact with one another and hold tightly to each other in unity by your humility in which we see in Jesus for the progress of the gospel. So we believe part of a summary that we can make is that Paul's saying, look, complete my joy. You've partnered with me in the gospel till now. Complete my joy by striving together as one, like Jesus, in the same attitude of Jesus towards one another for the progress of the gospel to continue. So, is that a good, you think that's a good summary? It could have gone a lot of ways. He's talking about a lot of things, but this is what we felt strongest enough in. This is where we felt held the meaning. And so as we're looking for meaning, the author's intended message to his original audience is going to help inform us and instruct us. So in light of that meaning, what's the significance for us? We're not Philippians. We didn't suffer with him. We didn't start the church with him. We don't know those ladies who are fighting. We might know other ladies who are. <laughs> we didn't send Paul any gifts. So what is this to us, right? And that's what we're seeking to find out. We're hoping that in the weeks to come, as we continue to go into sharing on the church, that we can take and, and glean from Paul's letter to these Philippians to grasp instructions for us as the church of the living God. And I hope that as we've found the meaning of why he wrote this, it can help us. You know, if we think that when he said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, that means for us that we can get through our marathons, that that might not be the meaning he meant, right? We could see that it was deep in suffering and he, he didn't have food, but the Lord helped him be content and get through those things. Is the Lord going to be with us regardless? Yes. But is that what Paul meant for us? No, we're gaining, we're gaining significance from that to carry in our lives, or as Guile said, put on our Mardell wall plaques. But as we have the meaning, what is significant for us as the church? So as you continue to read and study through Philippians, we are to 
and we're going to carry on in instruction for what are we to do in light of Paul's letter to the Philippians. All right? Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. <laughs>